Hello, and welcome to episode 43 of Together, a Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. Um, the season is now fully finished. Champions League final was played last week. Uh, we have wrapped everything up. Um, and this is probably good. Well, this is going to be my last uh, podcast episode for the summer. Um, I'm not sure when I will be back. Uh, sometime in July, of course, because that's when the preseason starts. Um, but for now, uh, I'm going to take a bit of a break um, and just enjoy the summer. And I suggest you do the same. Um, like I said, I'll probably be back uh, at the end of July. Uh, no earlier than no later than August 1st, because there's too much stuff to go over when we kick off right at the beginning of August. Um, But I just wanted to start the podcast off by uh, throwing that information out there, letting you guys know that there's going to be no more for a little while. Uh, It's the summer break, and we shall break. Second of all, uh, I want to just thank everybody who uh, has gone on this first season journey with me. Um, when I first started the podcast, it was really just uh, more of a hobby than anything else. Well, I mean, it's a hobby now, right? But it was something that I just, uh, since moving over to the US, I have seen on Twitter and on different social media, lots of US fans starting to slowly but surely get on the uh, the Albion bandwagon. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. It's It's a good way. Um, and I really wished that I had more people to talk to about the football over here. I have WhatsApp groups by the million, um, and I have a lot of people on Twitter I can talk to, but I miss that kind of conversation about the Albion, and I decided I would just do it to whoever wanted to listen. So when I started the podcast, it was really just a case of speaking into a microphone, and if three people a week listened to it, um, barring my mum, <laughs> I would be uh, I would be over the moon with it. Uh, and, you know, we're coming to the end of the season now, and uh, my episodes are hitting the hundreds of listeners, not, not two or three, um, which blew up much higher than I ever thought it would. You know, I'm... I'm aware that there's millions of podcasts out there doing millions of listens, but for me, that was uh, it was a compliment, and uh, it was it was just nice. Um, so I pushed the boat out, and I took a gamble um, for my last episode of the season, and I emailed Paul Barber, uh, and I asked him, you know, with the Women's World Cup coming up and all of this stuff going on in Albion's first season in the Super League, um, you know, as a fully professional side, what are, what are the chances of me getting an interview with someone over on the women's side of the game um, with the spotlight that's going to be on them now for the next two months, right, at least? Um, and honestly, I didn't expect to reply. I know he's incredibly good at doing that and getting back to everybody and doing what he, you know, that's why people um, love him or hate him, have a lot of respect for Paul Barber. And he, uh, he actually did get back in touch. He forwarded my my request along to the media team, um, and they got me an interview um, with Kirsty Holland. She is the general manager of the Brighton's women and girls, pretty much the whole kit and caboodle. She is the general manager of everything that comes to Brighton's women's football. Um, yeah, so that is going to be the interview for today. Um, I will trail it off here. Enjoy. Um, I hope that you learn a lot. I learned a lot. Uh, and with the World Cup coming up, I figured it was an incredibly useful time to start learning a bit more about this this side of the Albion uh, that is being, you know, marketed to everybody now. Uh, so enjoy. 
for today's show, uh, I have on with me Kirsty Holland, uh, the general manager of women's and girls football over at Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I hope your day's going all right. Yeah, great so far. Busy, but good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, so I guess first things first, uh, let's talk about you, if that's okay. Um, you've been in the women's game for a while now, so could you tell us a little bit about your journey in the game? Yeah, sure. I actually started out, uh, I think it was 2013, at Birmingham City Football Club uh, as their ladies coordinator back then. And I, um, within the year, progressed to the general manager of the women's side and the setup. Uh, so I joined at a time when they were in the domestic competition with the FAWSL, the FA Cup. There was even in the Champions League at that time. So I had a bit of a quite varied experience. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, dealt with many of the England players that are, that are in the team still today. Um, and then I progressed on to Brighton and Hove Albion in 2016 as a general manager, overseeing not just the first team, but their now dual career academy, so the 17 to 20 year olds and their uh, regional talent club, which looks after the kids in terms of their development as well. So it's been quite a journey. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like quite a journey. That's awesome, um, especially with the amount of uh, spectrum of things you had to look at at Birmingham as well. I had no idea that you had so many things on your plate at one time. <laughs> yeah it's and it's really developed since then so from having gone from a couple of members of staff to here where there's over 30 40 members of staff in the women's and girls department it really helps in terms of pushing the game forward for us gosh yeah I can imagine so speaking of the fact that your structure has changed so much uh could you give us an insight into what that structure looks like certainly um we've gone from probably a department that's just within our, in the, well, it was started off in the Women's Premier League. And, and as I joined, it was transitioning to the FA Women's Super League too. Um, we now have a department of over 40 staff, which breaks that, if you break it down, is into three different areas. It's our first team, our dual career academy, which is under 17 to 20 year olds. And then the FA Girls Regional Talent Club, which is under, te- uh, under 10s through to under 16s. Uh, from a staffing context and structurally, that's the anything from the football admin to the coaching to the sports science and medical. So we have a big multidisciplinary team that looks after the players' elite environment from a day-to-day basis, from anything from contracts through to marketing through to HR. Um, and we've really integrated from the old days where women's football used to kind of be a separate entity but supported by the men's to a full like kind of integration model where we're fully into the club. It's not the men or women's club, it's the main club. Yeah, I think that's great. I think it's a long time coming. So I'm glad that that's happened, as I'm sure everybody else is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so I can imagine, I've, I've listened to a couple of your interviews previously, um, and most of them were all prior to the start of this season. So I'm super fascinated to find out. Uh, you've had that first debut season at the top level of women's football. I'm sure you and everybody else has learned like an awful lot. Um, what are your biggest takeaways from this first year? I think the learning curve has been the biggest takeaway. It's about transitioning from a semi-professional or amateur environment into a full-time environment. So having seen the players maybe on an every other day basis to a day-to-day basis, it's with our staff monitoring their loading and their welfare throughout the, the course of every single day and, and checking in with them regularly and the welfare that we've had. So I think one of the biggest learning curves is ensuring that we have a tight-knit multidisciplinary team where we can get insight from uh, specialists whether that be from the physio medical side to the welfare to the psych even on the business and financial sides making sure that we're on key all the time in terms of meeting the players needs but also the expectations of the league 
Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And speaking about the kind of wider expectations of the league, that kind of merges perfectly into where I was going to go. So the whole restructure of the Women's Super League has gone under, like, has gone underneath a, uh, a change. So we're one year into that, too. Um, what are your thoughts on the changes to that? And like, how is that affecting your game and the game in general, do you think? It's been really fast paced. I mean, there's been decisions made that I think both us and the FA are aware of that needs tweaks, but we've got the ball rolling now and we've built on previous success of kind of those trailblazers in the women's game have had. So the incorporation now of the FA Women's Super League Dual Career Academy, so again, the 17 to 20 year olds being more close to closer linked to the first team in terms of the training and, and everything like that is really, really important. Uh, in what the FA have done this year. So it's not just a developmental league, it's a competitive league. Um, but that hasn't come without considerations that we need to take forward. So looking at scholar agreements, possibly, uh, to main, maintain security of players and player compensation. So with this whole host of professionalism coming along, it's now looking ahead in terms of security of players, but also the quality of players coming through. So it's a great position to be in, but one that both us and the FA are mindful of moving forwards in terms of making sure we're appropriately prepared, I guess. Yeah, I guess uh, that was one thing I just thought of as we were talking about that. What, um, How does the academy structure and that kind of youth development structure compare to the men's side of the game, especially at Brighton as a whole, I suppose? It's quite different. I mean, the, the one perspective the FA have taken, especially with the salaries not being comparable at the moment to the men's due to the financial and kind of commercial revenue in the game, uh, we have a essentially what is an under-23s reserves, which is our 17 to 20-year-olds, um, where they have to have education to be in the programme um, and they look to develop through the pathway onto first team and hopefully international also alongside that. But with that, Whereas in the men's game, you might have scholar agreements and protection of players to a degree. We don't have that at the moment. So especially if you look at Arsenal, which is often a feeder club to many other clubs from their development pathway, um, there's no security of players in terms of they can go at any time. They can dual represent in leagues. Um, so really those feeder players coming through the pathway, we need to look at better security for them moving forwards. And it's something that the FA are very mindful of. It's ensuring we do it the right way for both player and club and for country yeah yeah I, I had no idea so to clarify are you saying that an arsenal player can go play for a different club at the same time as playing for arsenal like not on a loan or yeah so say if it's an under 17 player uh, say 17 well not under 17 a 17 year old not under contract with the essentially what is the reserves uh, they could dual register so they could actually go um they might leave arsenal and they could go sign for a wsl2 club if they wanted to because it's it's different leagues. So yes, they're, they're more within their right to do that. Um, but it doesn't always ensure that that's what's best for the player as well because they're coming out of one framework and one sort of environment, especially in the WSL where it's a lead to another. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, it goes either way. But it's just things like that, there's no security. So essentially, Arsenal could have invested or have invested quite a lot of money on several players but might lose them to the likes of, say, Chelsea or Man City. Um, and they're within their right to do that because of kind of the loophole, I guess, in player compensation at the moment. Yeah, that's wild. I had no idea that was how that worked. That's super interesting. Um, it's almost like a like the Spanish leagues where they can go and play for like the B side and still play in a professional football setting. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah, and it, I think it's one that we're looking at closely, especially with player compensation sitting alongside that. So. 
24, if they, when they sign their first professional contract, it's how we kind of, there's no set practice at the moment on what we define as player compensation and whether that will be paid as well because it's upon signing the first pro contract. Yeah, I guess that, and especially with all that stuff going on with that, I guess the, do you think it's probably the perfect time for you and the country for the Women's World Cup to pop up in 2019? Massively, yeah, and it, it kind of sets a platform as well then for the Euros, which England are obviously hosting in in a few years' time, and we're we're one of the lucky host cities that will will be playing a part of that. But now's the time to have the conversations, and they are taking place. But um, it, they are needed to have to drive the game even further. Yeah, one hundred percent. I know that the US women's team are taking a pretty big stand on the equal pay and stuff like that. So. Hopefully, with a World Cup and the spotlight on these teams, so you can see kind of a bit more of a widespread catalyst for a change. Because it would be nice to be able to have that happen. Exactly, and uh, I mean you've probably seen all the adverts that are out at the moment. So it is really the spotlight is on fo- women's football at the moment, and I just hope that there's a legacy after the World Cup that can kind of propel it into the next direction, and not just national teams it's the clubs as well whether that's over in america or england um or across the world really yeah 100 percent um so speaking of the world cup um we know there's a bunch of players that are likely to be heading over there um and we actually saw three of the under 17s head out to euro finals as well um a few weeks ago so without giving too many secrets away like can you describe what the structure of the women's recruitment and development looks like from the ground up from our point of view, for or for England, uh, from your point of view, yeah, I mean, recruitment-wise, we we do we have we have a number of scouts that go out and watch games, and we also have um, a couple of companies that we utilise in terms of getting uh, video feedback and analysis, and we have a number of um, intermediaries that we use agents throughout the season. So we actually compile a database um, every season, and we build on that in terms of video footage. I mean. We, we, we are very, very lucky to have a first-team manager who used to manage England and has the contacts to be able to speak directly to coaches. So from our recruitment point of view, not only do we look at the performance, we look at the individual because one thing at Brighton we're all about is the values. I mean, we look at treating people well, exceeding expectations, aiming high and never giving up and making it special at the same time. And every play that we take on, we, we need to make sure that they have those values driving forwards because that is the fundamentals of Brighton and Hove Albion, um, whether that be within the football club, our supporters or the community in the area as well. So we have quite a diverse and uh, comprehensive recruitment plan um, that's not just on pitch based, but off pitch based also. Yeah, that's a, that's really cool. Um so I know that uh, when you look on the, in the papers and on the internet and stuff, you see you see like young boys at like seven years old having like Chelsea and Arsenal chase them and crazy stuff like that. Out of interest, how how young do you guys got for looking at uh, talent? Um, well, from our club perspective, we, we monitor them within the RTC from under tens, and we go out into the community as well. So it's kind of transitioning into the under tens because uh, that's when our elite program starts from our regional talent club. But we acknowledge as well, and one thing that's been in the news massively at the moment is looking at the maturation of players and acknowledging that players develop at different stages um, depending on the maturation. So really, it's acknowledging from a young age, from probably under 10s upwards, and we're very open in where we look as well. So I know some clubs have spoke about looking at in other sports as well or in futsal. Um, So we have quite a diverse approach to our recruitment and also open to the development of players, I guess. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I imagine that's uh, that's developed a long way since the Birmingham days, uh, considering how much money is being pumped in now. And I can only imagine how deeper it will get once you get a bit more money on the kitty as well. So <laughs> hopefully that will work out soon. Um, yeah. Speaking of development stuff, uh, yeah. do you think that there's going to be any big TV deals coming the women's way anytime soon, just out of interest? It would be really good if we could I mean we've got BT Sport as a partner I believe until uh, I think it's 2021 so in 2022 we'll look at probably in um, the FA are probably going to be looking at towards a new uh, broadcasting partner whether that be BT or or elsewhere but um, it'll be really interesting whether it's BT or whatever platform that we look at moving forward as a, as a game how we touch base with more viewership um, I think we're quite unique especially looking at the insights of women's football that sometimes an online platform actually works better in terms of profile than actually say terrestrial tv or uh, papership yeah you i think you hit the nail on the head i was about to bring up the idea of kind of like you know how like day zone is changing boxing and mma and there's a couple of other big apps out there now that are doing that like i, I was wondering if that would be a consideration from anybody uh, I think that would be a really cool idea because then it kind of becomes an international thing. You can pretty much get it anywhere as well. Yes, and I think as well the insights that whether it's whoever has the ownership on that, the in, in, insight can be quite specific in terms of what data that you want to pull off that and find out in terms of growth and how organic that is. I think the um, FA are working on that um, quite carefully in terms of how they place themselves in terms of the next broadcasting partner. And I know they work with a, a company called Sports Consultancy who have been fantastic in terms of looking at the strategic viewpoint of things such as the commercial entities and the broadcasting rights. It's terrific to hear because it sounds like the FAA and you guys work hand in hand a lot. And that may not be something that uh, happens so much on the men's side of the game. <laughs> Do you want to like talk about how that relationship is and kind of whether it is as good as it sounds? Yeah, I mean, the FA have been brilliant. I mean, not just a person with my role in terms of the sport they've given me at both Birmingham and Brighton, but within the clubs as well. Uh, we have a number of consultations throughout the year. So they've they've recently built actually a new women's board structure and they haven't just devised that amongst themselves. They came out to the clubs and they came out to key stakeholders to ensure that the new women's board within the FA and the governing body is actually kind of appropriately placed and, and the right kind of experience to drive the game forwards are a part of that. And that was very much like a one-to-one -one consultations with clubs or clubs as a whole with the FA. So everything that they're doing to drive the game, especially having seen the growth report year two within the, the game plan for growth that Sue uh, Campbell has driven, you can really see that, that together we are working to push the game on and forwards. And that's fantastic because I think before previously having been in the game, it's very much day-to-day, -day, let's get a season out of the way and the next one on. But it's so forward-thinking now. We, we have to think for, forward-thinking because of how much it's grown and, and where we can see it going. That is, is great to hear, uh, to see them be proactive instead of reactive, especially, as we were saying, like with these big tournaments coming up, you know, England are doing really well. They could end up having a very successful tournament. Then they host in a couple of years. Uh, it's good to know that they're kind of riding the wave before it swells too big. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. And like you said, I think you said it perfectly. They're being proactive as opposed to reactive, and that's really where we need to be. 100%. Um, focusing back on the Albion and kind of the playing season, uh, they played at Crawley this year. Uh, do you reckon there's any time soon when they may come closer to home, maybe Lansing or just somebody somewhere else that's closer? Um, I think there's a possibility. 
opportunity. I think at the moment we've been focusing so much, as you say, on infrastructure and getting it right for the first season. We're very, very lucky to have Crawley Town and a part of us uh, in terms of our match days and we have them for the next few seasons in, in terms of an agreement. Um, at the moment, our infrastructure is actually focusing on training. I, I don't know if many people are aware, but we actually train out of our stadium, the men's stadium at the moment, I should say at the Amex. And we're looking at getting our own training facility, which has, I think, been in the public domain already um, in the next year or two. So we focus on the training first and the infrastructure and I, I, I guess we're happy where we are at the moment with Crawley because they've been fantastic in terms of partners for us and, and they have actually grown our attendance quite phenomenally this year because um, we, we've had one of the hent, uh, highest attendance growths in the, in the WSL this season. That's really cool. Um, and I like, I like that answer is that you're focusing on the training first. You know, uh, a lot of teams can... We already have such a great infrastructure throughout the entire club, as you said before, that like you're able to train at the Amex of all places. You know, I guess that the infrastructure does kind of take a second second place to the playing staff and making sure that everybody is is ready to continue at that level. That's really cool. Yeah, and it's a different approach than probably we we first thought, and it was an opportunity that when when the board really drove that to us, we it was it was not even a second guess on it. We we went with it. And it's worked so well in terms of further integration into the club, and it's fantastic. They could have they could have put us in off site somewhere temporarily, but it, keeping us on site within the club and within the brand and around the same environment was integral to the success for us. Yeah, um, and I guess it's like you said, like it's a it's a ethic sort of thing for Brighton and Albion as a whole. Um, that's really cool. So. Talking about the team and then playing at Crawley, they did finish the season at the Amex, which was really cool. Um, would we be able to expect more games there in the future? Or is that something that was kind of maybe a, a special occasion? I think we review it season on season, but uh, we do tend to, from what I record, tend to at least host one game a season. I know we didn't previous uh, the previous season before this, um, but I believe that was due to the pitch maintenance in terms of the getting ready for the men going into the Premier League. So it was actually some. Thing. it wasn't a decision it was it was more it's physically not possible to do but it's something we review and hosting a game at the Amex we, we do review the success of it and looking at the attendance we we obviously set the WSL attendance in terms of record attendance uh, for the Super League so we that was one aim that we started out with and we are already reviewing next year can we host another game there but we want to be careful first of not taking it away too much from Crawley because we're, we're there and making the supporters travel constantly between the two so it's more of a showcase I guess for now yeah that makes total sense as well um and speaking of hosting games at the Amex uh you just hosted the England game at the Amex just prior to the World Cup uh I would love to know what kind of differences there were from that to the Albion one a few weeks ago yeah I mean it it was really good I mean there's a lot of comparisons to draw upon it especially in the event management of it. But uh, the club as a whole, a lot of the staffing worked alongside the FA from the start to the, uh, start to the end of this game. I mean, it happened a couple of months ago. Uh, we, we tend to have a lead within the uh, within the club side and then a lead on the FA side, but it trickles down to pretty much every department because that's what it takes to put the game on. And it was a real good taster, I guess, for us in terms of the Euros that's coming up in a couple of years' time. And it was absolutely fantastic to be a part of and drive that game forwards, not just for the club, but for the community in the local area as well. And it really showcased, you know, the success of the England team just before them going out to France. Yeah, 100%. It's a nice little taster for those people who might be tempted on getting some Euro tickets too. So, 
<laughs> Definitely, yeah. Um, so you've been you've been kind of right in the middle of the revolution of what is women's football. Um, so as we start to wrap up, what kind of words of advice would you have for any women uh, wanting to make a career in the game as it's kind of in its explosion period with your experience? I guess the time the time is now really for them to get involved. And there's so many different ways, whether it's through from a younger age with the Wildcats going in, the grassroots initiatives that they have, the Premier League Kicks initiatives, um, whether it's for our league programme. There's so many opportunities for them. They really need to take that up and drive it forwards. And don't be afraid. Don't shy away from it. But when they are there and when they are in that pathway, don't forget to enjoy the moment because it's very easy to look to the next thing. Enjoy the time that they have now within football. Yes, look ahead, but enjoy it. I think that's a bit biggest thing because what's happening now it is making it's continuing to make history, and they're going to be a part of that. Yeah, and I think that's about as as good of a sell than than anybody can give to anybody who wants to be in there who doesn't want to be a part of history. That's good. Brilliant. Um, so, last question uh, before we wrap up: um, the summer is here. The England game has been hosted. Uh, there's no rest for the wicked, I know that, but uh, the planning for next year, I'm assuming, is already underway. What kind of goals do you have in mind for next year? Um, I think it's to tighten up our ship in terms of us as a multidisciplinary and what we can really improve on, what went well. Um, and when I say that, we review not just in terms of staffing, but including the players as part of that journey. Um, I think it's about probably strengthening our team ahead of next season, um, contractually tying players down uh, that we're going to be focusing on and we have a lot of trials as well coming up for our dual career academy and our uh, youngsters as well so I think it's looking ahead now and making sure strategically we're in a position to jump ahead in terms of the league standings next year 100% it's exciting times yes yeah Kirsty, Kirsty, thank you so much for coming on uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you um, and thank you for taking this time to talk to me Alright, thanks for your time really appreciate it all right, excellent. And uh, I hope that the World Cup explodes as we want it to do and they continue to grow. Uh, thanks again and have an excellent summer. Thank you. All right, we're back. Um, I just wanted to say thank you again to Kirsty. Uh, thank you again to the Albion for linking me up. Um, that was an honor and a privilege. Uh, I didn't expect to strike gold as well as I did. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the... the the cool part about this podcast right i'm just a fan it's by a fan for the fans um and part of my shtick is that i always try and bring something new to the table in things you can learn or things that yeah whether you're new to the albion or old um you can see a different perspective uh i had a lot of american fans on over the summer over the season uh so to finish it off with a uh, a real look into the heart of women's football in England and the Albion personally was freaking awesome. Um, I was like smiling ear to ear for about eight hours after running it just because I managed to be able to get an interview with someone at the club uh, blew me away. So if anybody from the club is listening, you have no idea how much that means to me. Uh, it was ace beyond belief. Um, but to wrap up, because uh, there's not really much more to talk about here albion wise um there's a couple of rumors going around as as uh, they should be you know it's june um but there's not a lot going on uh for the albion no real major con uh, transfer 
sort of rumours coming around. Everything seems to be half and half. Uh, we were supposed to have been signing the, the Portsmouth defender, which never seems to have materialised just yet. Uh, we seem to be in for about 8 million different English youth players. Uh, so I won't really worry about it too yet. Um, so Davy Proper perhaps is going to Ajax for 20-odd million. Uh, Liam Rosinha was linked to uh, the Middlesbrough job yesterday, I think it was. It was a day before. Um, there's a bunch of different things. Jaden Bogle, right back, who was at Derby last year, is also supposedly in the mix. Um, but I will be I will be active on social media all summer, um, giving you the scoops that... Well, in other words, I'll probably just be retweeting Sky or the Argus. Um, but yeah, I'll be there. We will all be able to talk about it all the way through. So enjoy. Have a great summer. Thank you again for coming on this journey with me for this first year. Um, it has been a wonderful trip, um, but we are taking a break. If we had, uh, if our, the Albion had done the right thing and decided to preseason in the US, there would have been no break. But unfortunately... They didn't do it. So hopefully next year we get to have that big trip to wherever they decide to come over here. But until then, uh, I'm out. Enjoy your summer. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And be safe.